Once again, to the podcast that delves deep into Cardiff Devils lore and tells all of your favourite devil stories and some of the stories you thought you knew across all of the different eras. It's Behind the Bench with Neil Francis. I'm Gareth Hewish, and as always, I'm joined by Mr. John Donovan. John, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm I'm very well, thanks, guys. A, a bit bedraggled. Uh, I, I've just been from a dog walk from Cosmoston, and I don't know when this is going out, but it was raining. So, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's it's been a good night so far. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad you've enjoyed yourself with, uh, with your you. uh, little four-legged friend. And uh, of course, joined by producer Hubs. Hubs, how are you? All good, all good. And looking at the weather forecast, JD, I think we're safe on whatever night uh, it goes out. <laughs> it's going to be raining, so yeah. that's covered. Fair enough. And of course, it's the man on the marquee, Mr. Neil Francis. Franny, great to see you again. Good evening, gentlemen. Good to see you all again. Yeah, we uh, after after we went on a little bit of a run of getting podcasts recorded, we've had a, <laughs> a little bit of a hiatus haven't we and uh but that was to obviously allow the all the votes to to come in and uh get on talking a bit more about what we're going to uh to conclude tonight indeed so the last episode we gave you all of the nominees for the uh, greatest devil teams of all time across four different eras they had um, to play three seasons sorry can i just they had to play <laughs> yeah, yeah. we understand there were some good players who didn't make it yeah, Indeed. yeah. It, oh, turns geez, out, Craig it turns out Craig Weller is still very popular <laughs> <laughs> amongst amongst those that don't read the rules and can't understand why he hasn't been picked. <laughs> and uh, the uh, the response, Franny, was excellent, wasn't it? A lot of people got involved uh, in yeah, their li- opinions. Li- literally in the thousands of votes. Um, so it was fantastic to... Uh, you know, to get that response from the fans and also to see all the comments um, from the fans about how, how much it brought back memories of, of guys that have given fantastic service to the Devils and, you know, g- gave everybody the entertainment over the years. And, you know, that, that kind of reiterates why there, there was that three-season ruling for as much as Craig Weller did and how amazing he was to watch. You know, that was for, you know, three-quarters of a season where... Um, it was felt that the team of all time needed to be somebody that, you know, had, had had a sustained period in Cardiff. So the three season rule was in and, and ruled out people like Craig Weller and uh, anyone else, JD? I, I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm, I'm no, just no. Yeah, just Craig Weller. <laughs> just Craig Weller. But it does give us an episode we can do later on with the, with the other players who uh, didn't get into this one. So you never know, JD, he may get in something else. I'm apparently the only one in Cardiff who likes him, so, um, you know. There's a petition. There is a government petition. Yeah. Change the voting rules. Okay, fine. So what we're going to do in this episode is go through uh, the 
lucky few who made the final rosters and uh, we will get all nostalgic and uh, glassy-eyed over our favourite memories and just some of the reasons as to why these players have been placed in such a prestigious place in this poll. Franny, just before we do, can you just go through what is going to happen next in regards to this process? I believe there's some nifty shirts yeah, presented. So so the first thing I wanted to address is uh, is the listeners that have, or, or viewers, because we're on YouTube as well, yeah? Um, <laughs> those of you that have, have seen the announcements uh, will have noticed that even though we had a vote for the coach and we were going to choose two out of the four, um, there was lots of votes for each coach. And I think that recognising that across all four eras, all four of these coaches delivered success and silverware to Cardiff. So we felt it was only right if we're having the team of all time that all four of these coaches got recognized as well. So that, that's why, uh, that's why you'll, you'll see, um, see all the, those coaches announced. Um, and the next part of the process is we are having, I think we're in the, the process of getting these special jerseys um, made up with the team of the, uh, the team of all time and those there will be a shirt on its way to each player that has been voted in and, and the coach and there will also be um, a shirt up for grabs one of each um, that the devils will be announcing via the website and social media on how you can get your hands on that which would be a extremely valuable one-off I think that the shirt for the player is such a lovely touch when you hear some stories of some players and they play for clubs and all their shirts go off to fan auctions and don't actually have anything from their club, that those players actually get something to remember their time in Cardiff. I think such a classy, a classy move. Absolutely. Whose shirt are you going to bid on, Hubs? Are you, I assume you'll go for Moria's, will you? I'm, I'm, I, I don't know if I've got uh, Shannon, Stephen Cooper, Ian Cooper, maybe. Jeff Smith. Okay. He's my big buddy. He's helped me a, a lot in um, life. Good choice. Um, and he's doing some great stuff um, with his Big Moose um, big moose charity and coffee shop and things like that. He's giving back to the community of Cardiff still now. And- I'll tell you what a, a good purchase would be. And he, I'm going to mention it because he says at the start of every episode, don't mention it, but the 29 Francis shirt would be a good purchase. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and I'll be well-deserved for anyone's collection and not... <laughs> someone's frame in their in their house if they have a man cave or yeah or something like that. I think above the kitchen I believe there's a, a a new washing machine or cooker gone into yeah. the into the apprentice household and I think sent <laughs> the kitchen would be awesome. Yeah I'll, I'll tell my wife to put a bid in <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd get a wife joke in before JD did feeling so. <laughs> all my best so wine. Yeah. Yeah. John's not talking about Rick Brabant <laughs> doing jokes. Jeez, yeah. well, where's the real JD so we will start with the first decade of the Cardiff Devils and the team that was chosen so we'll go through one by one and uh, I guess we'll uh, stop at each one and, and just discuss the merits of that choice and, and some of our memories of them. So uh, in goal, we already just touched on uh, the big man. Jeff Smith was the first person um, to be voted in as netminder for team of the first decade. And is there any more an iconic scene than him taking off his goalie mask and being 
absolutely bombarded by a horde of very happy devils players. Live and on Brian, Brian Kanosha, who takes a flying <laughs> leap. The rush join in. Yeah. yeah. But no, that that is, you know, when you think of uh, hairs standing up on neck moments, it is that one, isn't it? It's, it's that kind of focus of Jeff just before the penalty um, shot. He kind of goes out to greet Tony Hand, who's had the big build-up. He holds all the records, best British player and all that. And then he comes down and Jeff sort of narrows him away from a shot and, and Tony Hand's got nowhere left to shoot apart from in the pads. And he makes that save, whips off the helmet. He's got the long flowing hair, hasn't he? And then just gets absolutely mobbed by his team. And yeah, what a scene that is. Yeah. The other story I, I like about Jeff, and he tells this one better himself, is, is the... Um is the season before when it was us and Medway going for the first division title. And basically it was all going to come down to who won the games between Medway and Cardiff because um, we were beating everybody else. Medway then had guys like Kevin McNaughton. I think Luke Shabbat was there and uh, a few others, Rob Braskell maybe. And uh, in Jeff, I think lived near London and Hubs, you, you, you know, this story, I, I, I guess. And he checked teletext to see what time face-off was and, yeah, Teletext had it as a six o'clock face off uh, at Medway, and obviously Jeff wasn't going to travel down to Cardiff to to travel over to 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 Gillingham. So um, he he turned up at six o'clock, and he says, "Well, the car park was busy, and there was lights on, and a lot of people." And he thought, "Well, this is a bit strange for a junior game." And he walked in, and the first period was already ten minutes old. And he said, "Every time," um, and and no disrespect to Ian Wright, who was in goal for the Devils <laughs> that night. But yeah, the, um, the every time he put a piece of equipment on, sitting in the dressing room, Medway, he heard Medway score another goal. And I think the, <laughs> the Devils were four goals down by the four time nil. he got on. Yeah. Um, thankfully, we came back to yeah. to, to win. Um, but but yeah, I, I like that story of, of, of just how, Franny, you know what it's like to be in a, 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 a locker room where maybe uh, someone has let the team down or something. <laughs> and uh, it would have been interesting to see how the team reacted to Jeff when uh, when they all came in after the first period. Especially yeah. the, no mobile phones and yeah yeah OJ I, I'd love to have seen OJ free <laughs> game would have loved it yeah I forgot all about that story nice reminder JD that's why you're here <laughs> the only reason it's uh, <laughs> he mentions it is it was the one I I had as well because he, he did a lot of writing under his big moose and it's it's he tells that story and another story of Stratton which is a little bit similar when Cardiff were due to play a second leg in Stratton about the whole fans and the whole atmosphere and he's such a great storyteller and he, he tells stories about his prep for games and those are his two key and obviously the Wembley ones and um, yeah top top bloke. Yeah, and big moose, big moose set to open soon as well. So yeah, yeah. make sure, make sure you uh, if you're in, in town Monday seventeenth. Uh, pay him a visit. Great job. I also uh, you did some work with the junior development as well. I believe in the mid to late nineties. Well, he, he was very much the mentor of Stevie Lyle, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, you know, he, he definitely took Stevie under his wing, even when Jeff had then stopped playing for the Devils, and but was still based in Cardiff. He'd, uh, you know, he, he, Stevie was his sort of protege, and he took him under his wing and guided him, even you know when Stevie went across the pond to North America. You know, I know Jeff was always a sort of trusted advisor for Stevie, and uh, you know that was you know a huge part in Stevie's development. So, uh, very, very worthy choice uh, in Jeff Smith, given uh, his all on and off the ice 
for the Devils and uh, the City of Cardiff and beyond as well. Uh, first defenceman for the first decade, a very familiar face, uh, Mr. Shannon Hope gets the nod. Uh, retired shirt, and uh, he was never, ever going to be left off this list, was he? No way. And, you know, you talk about what Jeff did for Cardiff off the ice as well, but, you know, Shannon, uh, we've talked about it before. Um, if there's one name that ever gets mentioned, if I'm in ever, ever in a conversation <laughs> of, of uh, ice hockey with people who aren't sort of regulars down there, there's one name that comes up all the time, Shannon Hope. You know, he's, he's stuck in the memory because of his character, but also... You know, personality on on the ice as well, wasn't it? He was, he was very charismatic, and the way he played, you know, the, the famous spinner armors. Um, he embodied everything that Cardiff needed to be at the time to to get the fans in and to you know to build the brand. Absolutely, he. Um, I can't believe we haven't done a Shannon episode because I imagine the, yeah. the the stories he's got. Um, you know, and, and and as Franny said, what he did for Cardiff. I I think you. I, I would agree with, with, with Franny in the sense that John Lawless, fantastic personality in his own right, but, you know, he was the guy who, who started the club. But in terms of someone to, I don't know, engage with fans, and particularly, you know, I was, I was a seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old kid in Shannon's first few years in Cardiff. And, and I know, you know, most of the kids down there, Shannon engaged and, 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 you know, he was a really, really nice personality off the ice. And then on the ice, he, you know, he always looked like he was having fun. He had that really... Uh, cool skating style he had the bullet of a shot and and the, the thing we always bring this up and, and franny you know this better than me and probably you perhaps as well as a linesman the thing about shannon which we kind of always forget because he has this nice guy jokey persona he was a tough guy if if, if shannon needed to, to throw down with somebody shannon shannon could lose it and yeah he, he um he was someone i think that the in the early sort of five six seven years was really a, a huge fan favorite for for so many reasons Going back to your point, JD, about the kids, he, um, when they first opened the first ever ice hockey shop, there was one under the bridge, but there was one in central Cardiff, mm -hmm. top floor capital um, shopping. And that was Shannon's first ice hockey shop up there. I remember going in there for my first ice hockey stick. and Major League Sports? It was some, yeah, I think it was. Major League yeah, Sports, yeah. yeah. And he, like, I mean, he left-handed, right-handed. I, I don't know. He, there was a queue yeah. of kids just waiting for... Shannon to bung a stick in his hand and whichever yeah. way you picked it up, that's where you played. And yeah, it was engaging from from all those. And but you see kids just going in there just so they they come out and say, I spoke to Shannon. I spoke, I spoke to, to Shannon. Shannon. Yeah. They didn't want to buy anything. They just wanted to to meet him. He was that first, yeah, you know, say engaging box office player. Then the people would hear some of the stories that happened and and then would get drawn by the echo stories and that sort of stuff. So yeah. And he was the he was the, the first person ever to call me Franny. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Can you and you can imagine that as a you know that, that kind of aligns with what Hubs was saying about you know when you're a kid and you see your kind of heroes there and you know he they were trained all the imports then on their on their contracts they had to train the juniors so they all had one age group and so they, you know they were training us and I remember walking in the ring shop in Cardiff and Shannon happened to be in there and you're like oh you know Shannon's there and he's like hey Franny there's Franny how are you doing <laughs> I'm like oh my god this yeah. guy's just giving me like a, a North American sort of style yeah. nickname and, <laughs> and, it, and it's stuck ever since I think there was a couple of efforts of Frankie boy from uh, Mo and Lawless and yeah. stuff like that but but Franny was the one that Shannon gave me, and, and that stuck. Franny, question about Shannon. We're talking about, you know, his, you know, larger than life character and stuff and whatnot. But 
would he be someone as well who could kind of turn in the dressing room and and maybe crack down on a few things if things weren't going well, or did he always keep? Well, he didn't like Rick Raban. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sh- Shannon always uh, kept things light in the dressing room. You know, he was always the one that was cracking the jokes and and things like that. However, he is ultra ultra competitive. Whether it's playing tennis, whether it's playing golf, whether it's playing hockey, so people often mistook. Um, Shannon for a bit of a clown in terms of you know always clowning around and there was that light-hearted side to him but when he stepped on the ice it was game time and there was you know there was none of that and even if he had a smile or a spinner arm or whatever on the ice if you've got Shannon on the ice in the last two minutes of the game which he often more often than not was was then you know it was an absolute competition and uh, you know a fierce fierce competitor so from that point of view, yeah, and you know, and, and as uh, JD said about the the incident with Rick Brabant, you know, I think he saw Rick Brabant getting sort of uh, um, being more interested in himself rather than the team, and he, you know, that was his way of putting it right, and you know, sort of stepping in and trying to, um, you know, nip it in, his, in the bud, I guess. Well, there we are. We will get a Shannon episode uh, on Slate. Howdy, who who I think that's a really good matchup. Who won that fight? <laughs> I think that's a toe-to-toe really good matchup, Rabant against Hope. Uh it wasn't it wasn't a toe-to-toe. Um it it was more of a wrestle. Um I think <laughs> and I remember we had we had a big huge weights bench in our dressing room as well. And it started near there and it kind of ended up with both guys kind of rolling around and sort of you know, falling over this weight bench and stuff. So it, it wasn't an actual like toe to toe, but God, who would I? Who would I have who my had, money on? Who would you pick? Who would you pick? Who had the pin for? Was there a count? Pardon? <laughs> was, there a pound? was there? Was there a pin? <laughs> no, no. It, like I said, it was more of a wrestle, and it was you know a lot of kind of grabbing around the face and stuff like that, <laughs> and the throat, around the throat. But it was there wasn't many blows exchanged. But if it was a a stand-up toe-to-toe fight on the ice. Oh my God, that would be it. It would be both. Both could swing so quick as well. Yeah. Like Rick was super tough um, and strong, as was Shannon. I, I probably would give it to Shannon with, with yeah. a bigger with a bigger, bigger reach. reach, longer reach. Yeah, yeah, longer reach. And you know, he you saw whenever he fought, he sort of cut people open and, and whatever. So. I'd give it to Shannon. I, I think we've got to have some sort of reunion and, and have that. You know, maybe that could be like a Christmas episode. Yeah. A, a, a Shannon Brabant fight. <laughs> yeah. This might be a simulator. We could put like the stats in and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Just run it. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. Yeah. Uh, anyone in a boxing ring these days for the sound of it. So, yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 to round out the defense for the first decade is uh, one of the uh, greatest British players of all time. Mr. Stephen Cooper is uh, alongside Shannon. And I must say, um, when we did our epic uh, playoff winning team of uh, episode of last year, available in the archives, um, where we managed to reunite all of the uh, players, um, I think Stephen Cooper was the one that left the, the biggest impression on me, mainly because we've never really heard much from him before um but it really kind of stuck with me his memories of not being able to kind of 
watch what was going on and, and being nervous. And yep. it kind of showed me exactly what winning and what the Devils meant uh, to him. Again, a, a very worthy addition to this process. Yeah, it, it's quite surprising, actually, how much that hit him, considering how uh, assured and confident he was on the ice in his play. I mean, he was... You, you rarely ever saw Stephen make a mistake. You know, he was very solid. I mean, he did everything, didn't he? Massive hits, the big hip checks that he was famous for, but, you know, the big blasting slap shot, you know, made great first pass out of defence. He could do it all. Um, and But then to hear the state that he had worked himself up to on that penalty shootout, you could just tell what it meant to, to everybody. And, uh, you know, I think he was just so glad that it was over, because, you know, having missed... The shots, you know, those are the kind of headlines that that get written, aren't they? I mean, as it was, Tony Han took the brunt of it, but it could easily have been, you know, the Cooper brothers and checkbook hockey fails and bounce checks and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, and that would have been, you know, that would have been so unjust, you know, considering the, the great goal that Stephen scored to to keep the Devils in the game in in that one, um, where he, you know, he jumps up into the play. Um, but overriding memories of Stephen. I mean, there's there's the huge hits that I've mentioned. So he put one. I'm sure. Uh, well, I'm hoping producer hubs will be able to dig it out somewhere. The one on Dan Dorian. Um, Dorian literally was never the same player again. Yeah, he left he Nottingham got, a few weeks afterwards. Uh, Dampier cut him. Yeah, he got crumpled, didn't he, by Stephen, and he literally was never the same player again. Uh, there was a similar one um, when we went to Riga in the. Uh, Europa Cup or Continental Cup, whatever it's called, um, where you got OJ on the commentary, haven't you? Good night. night. Mm. With that hit, which is unbelievable. And also, we talked about, I think, before his toughness and that scrap he had with, uh, was it Ross Lambert? Yeah. Um, I was on the ice for that one. Um, and I remember, you know, and he was unusual in terms of a fighter because he didn't grab onto a jersey and throw he the other like hand. a boxer, didn't he? And, and, yeah. You know, the late yeah. Jim Mannings obviously had a, a little bit of input into that, but he, he, he fought did, like yeah. a middleweight boxer. He did, yeah. Like Jim's always, Jim always said that, um, you know, he, he thinks Stephen would have been as a minimum British champion if he'd have trained as a boxer rather than a hockey player. Knockout punch with left and rights. Um, but yeah, he squared up and he he didn't, you know, he didn't grab on. He was punching, you know, jabbing and punching. And uh, Ross Lambert, who's a tough cookie himself, uh, you know, Stephen uh, fed him his lunch. Yeah. And also Rick Babance as well. That fight is available on the Easter eggs of the previous episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, yeah. really? Yep. Which one was that? Have a look at the uh, Easter eggs at the end of the last episode. I gotta watch these episodes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just not listening to more stuff you do, John. <laughs> I know. The, uh, the, 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 uh, to, to echo Franny's point, and this sounds, this almost sounds like a, um, a negative, but because Stephen Cooper made very few, few mistakes, like you know, count on one hand mistakes, the sort of a couple of things I, I, I remember about Stephen. Um, first of all, when him and and, and Ian left after you know you've just had this high of, of Wembley and, and winning the penalty shots and you know all is well with the world and then Ian and Stephen leave and and that was just sickening because you knew that was so significant um and going back to Durham who were the arch enemy at the time but then Franny and again you know Hubs you'll remember this and Gaz I think it was probably your first season the Tommy Plummer goal and and just how crushing that was when we were we were trying to stop Sheffield from winning that league first league title. We were trying to hold on to our league title, 
And I, Stephen Cooper, I remember having a fantastic game that night, playing so many minutes and makes one of his very, very rare mistakes. And I, I don't know what he was like on the bench or in the dressing room afterwards, Franny, but from the stands, it looked like he was devastated. And, and you know, Sheffield won that game 5-4 and went on to yeah. win the title. It's like the Steven Gerrard slip, isn't it? You know, it's that kind of that kind of moment where somebody who's so dependable and you know, like you say, never puts a foot wrong in that game just just happened to and just shows that it can happen to anybody. And you know, I'm I'm sure the amount of minutes that he played does factor into that. But uh, nice to see you, you haven't actually totally changed JD, and you know, you've gone for the glass half empty approach. You know. <laughs> The episode to celebrate everyone's achievements. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a fair point. Yeah, something what Neil and someone else has said. So I'll add a bit of praise back in. Obviously, he hit very hard. He was ultra competitive, but he was fair. He wasn't dirty in any type of way. As a, an official on the ice, when Stephen Cooper was playing on the ice, he was a defenseman. You you know that some would have a couple of sly little digs, not mentioned in the previous um, recipient <laughs> of the award and stuff. Stephen Cooper on the ice, as honest a gentleman you could come across, hit hard, hit fair, and was just an absolutely solid, great player. I tell you what I did see the other day, and I think it was courtesy of our, our friend uh, Devil's Flashbacks, who mm-hmm. uh, kindly comments on our um, on our YouTube uh, videos and thank okay. us for the mention. So we'll mention him again because he yeah, does a absolutely. fantastic job. <laughs> and, 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 yeah, um, I saw a hit that he put up there where Stephen absolutely drills Tony Hand. Yeah, and Tony Hand yeah. never got hit, did he? Yeah, no, Tony Hand had that great awareness, but. Yeah, Tony Hand has gone up the boards and kind of half taken his eye off, and Stephen comes in and absolutely smashes him. And you know, you can see that Tony Hand wasn't uh, wasn't too uh, too aware after it of where he was. But uh, yeah, for him to catch someone like Tony Hand like that, it uh, just shows how how good his hits were. <laughs> and just 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 finally, and, and kudos to Hubs. You you mentioned this before the the episode started. Um, if, if if I said Cooper Hotham Fournier. Probably my three most iconic goals um, in Cardiff Devils history, and I'd still take, take Stephen Cooper as number one. The Wembley goal, yeah. the one um, Franny mentioned just then as well. Played, I think he starts to play, goes up the yeah. boards, Ian then finds him. So I think finds Mo, Mo, Mo finds Ian. Yeah. Ian across ice, perfect reading of the play of the defenseman coming and forward. He crashes through the Crash net as well. Net. Yeah. yeah. And um, tied it up, if I remember correctly. Yeah, we did, six all. Uh, and I know we've got to move on to other players because we've got lots to talk about, but just, just one thing, we've talked about Stephen's competitive nature and, you know, and JD, when you mentioned about, you know, you can imagine he didn't take it too well with the, with the slip against Sheffield. Um, I remember speaking to Stephen after our, I think it was our first season of the new ownership and we had just missed, no, it wasn't actually, it was when we'd, I think we'd won when we were on for the Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. That's right. We were on for the Grand Slam and we just missed out on it um, in, in the new ownership. And I was talking to him and he's like, yeah, great season. I was like, you know, you're shame about the last game. It would be nice to get that. And, and I stupidly made a comment like, the thing is, if we'd have won it all, then, you know, what would we, what would we have aimed for the next year? Mm-hmm. And he looked at me just horrified and he's like, 
well, you go and win it all again, you know. And it was just like, and he just showed like the winning mentality that he's got. And I felt so stupid when I'd said it, you know, that, that I was almost grateful we didn't win everything because, you know, because then everything's been achieved and it's game over. And he was like, well, no, you win it, we just win it again, you know. And it, and that's what Devils did. They just kept on being that machine. Yeah. So if we're mentioning other players' current businesses, um, Jess, is it only fair to mention if anyone does need a Porsche, just to pop along to the Porsche dealership on the road? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm there most weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, here we go, told, guys. Can you, leave, can you please get off? Can you leave the Porsche? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we've got uh, our defenseman, our goaltender, but we need some goals. We need some forwards. And we will start with the Peter Pan of ice hockey. Steve Moria is the first forward to be inducted into the first decade of the Devils team of all time. Over to you, gentlemen, Steve Moria. Yeah, I'm deferring to you, Franny, as as um, like as first response because because you you get yeah. the right because you played with these guys. I, I said it in the last episode. I thought. We could describe Joey Martin as the greatest of all time, and I'm happy to take that. He's the guy he may be slightly nudged off the perch, but is right there with him for me is Steve Moria. 100%. Um, I mean, when, whenever his old teammates talk about, you know, the success, they, they point towards him as, I mean, I, the way he, I think describes him in a nutshell is the classiest player we've ever had. He just oozed class. Like every little touch that he had, you know, every just technically, probably the most technically gifted player that we've had. Right, there we go. That's probably how I would describe Mo. Um, way ahead of his time, and I think that you know, had he been in a different era, then you know, you could see how somebody with his hockey IQ, the intellect, and um, you know, the technical ability, how how he could have played in the NHL. You know, he's he played. Uh, I think he played in the AHL, didn't he, across in North America. He set records in his college career. Um, it was just his lack of physical ability in, in you know, the, the way the game was at the time when everybody was six foot three and 220 pounds. Um, that's the only reason that he didn't get a shot at me in the uh, NHL. But, um, you know, their loss was definitely the British games game and, and definitely Cardiff as well because, you know, he was the focal point of, uh, of our attacks for, for years and years. And he just always looked cool, you know. We, we've talked a lot, and I could, I could, I could talk about how fantastic he is as a player. But he just always looked cool. He had the bubble gum, you know. He had the bandana so much so you had this ugly, gawky ten-year-old ginger kid trying to wear bandanas around uh, Steve <laughs> Moriora. You know, he had the the cool half visor. He always had the the Louisville gloves when when no one else had them or, or what have you. He yeah, just, I, th- I think he, he was. Cool. I think he was sponsored by Louisville, which is unheard of at the time. He had like an equipment sponsor. You know, they, they'd put their brand on him. But, um, yeah, you know, he was just elegant in the way that he played. And, you know, like you say, with the, the bandanas we sang caught on, didn't it? Like, everybody yeah. then seemed to be wearing them. And who was the team that turned up one Peter game? And Peterborough, yeah. And they, like like, the they blue, yeah. On the blue line, and they all had the bandanas yeah. on, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> that was the Michael Dark um, yeah. guy from Peterborough who started all the, I guess, confrontation between the teams. That was his idea. Yes. But, but but Franny, the, the comment you made about Tony Hand, I, I put on Mo as well. 
he never he never got hit, you know, so much so that obviously Grant Slater uh, was given a job on him. Uh, uh, yeah, I think he had to run him from behind, didn't he? he because if, behind, yeah, yeah. If it was if, if it was from the front of the side, you wouldn't catch him. He was he was him. smart. Yeah, you know, he knew where to be because his lack of physical play didn't mean that he didn't go in those areas. No, he, he was just in and out before anyone else had got there. And yeah. you know that that just takes some some intellect to do that. And uh, you know this whole line as we you know we're going to complete it later on was just so finely balanced and you know he was kind of i would say he was the conductor of that orchestra wasn't he absolutely i mean just before we move on from uh mo um what do you think was the secret to his longevity was he always someone who was on top of the fitness game was he someone who was looking to kind of you know always look at nutrition things what was the secret yeah, I mean, he, he was he was what definitely um, the guy that looked after himself the best. You know, he barely drank, always at right, um, always worked out, and, you know, kept himself in tip-top shape and still does. You can still see how active he is now, you know, rollerblading here and there. And I think he coaches a football team. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he might even be a, is he a PE, a PE teacher in the school? Yeah. 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 So he's always active and, you know, multi-talented across a number of sports, whether that's tennis, golf, um, I want to say something like lacrosse, but it might not be yeah. lacrosse. So there's, there's, there's something well, I else. Think you're right. there I, is I think I think I think baseball as well. When he was and uh, that, the other one was uh, American football as well. I think he was um, a quarterback when he was um, back home, and uh, you know had to make choices between sports. And you know, so you can just see he's, he's got that sporting brain. He's you know an athlete, you know a definite athlete, and. You know, the, the, like we said, the way he played, he wasn't overly physical. He was so smart to not get himself in dangerous situations. To, to you know, he didn't pick up many injuries, did he? So, um, you know, I think that all contributed to the to the longevity of, of his career. Okay, so alongside Steve Morier is another shirt retiree. Uh, step forward, Doug McEwen. John, if Steve Moria was with value for money on your Cardiff Devils ticket. What a treat that you had at Doug McEwen as well. Possibly one of the greatest stick handlers the club has seen. A fantastic player. And, and it really uh, interested me um, when we did the um, Wembley episode last year that the, the guys kind of laughed at him a little bit and just, yeah, Dougie does his own thing. We just let Dougie do his, his own thing <laughs> and, and everyone else. But, I, you know, I, I hated Dougie because the year before he, he scored nine plus two um, <laughs> against, uh, against us when Lee Valley beat us. And I was, I was at that game with my dad. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, we've, we've told the story a lot that, that Dougie wasn't meant to be in Cardiff. He was a last minute signing because Paul uh, Castron uh, uh, pulled out, but what a, what a signing he was. And, you know, Peterborough must kick themselves to this day that they, they released him, um, you know, so silky smooth. Um, had, had played defence at Peterborough, so I always remember yeah. if we had an injury on the back line or, or sometimes if we were killing penalties, Doug would go back and, and play as a defenceman. Um, just so good on the puck, so good on his backhand side. Um, and and to, to, to be to be Mr. Negative again, um, just because Franny, I know, loves it when I do this. I can edit uh, Franny, it's fine. I can no, 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 no. <laughs> this, this, this is a compliment. The... the, the, the Dougie did so many great things for us, but the abiding memory I have of, of Dougie, and this is this is no disrespect to Claude Dumas, 
we brought Claude Dumas in to replace, you know, Moria had been there, Kajir had been there, Brabant had been there, and Dumas, you know, was a good player in his own right, but but maybe not quite at that level. And Johnny Lawless, he started the season with with Dumas on the first line, and maybe it wasn't quite clicking, and he put him on the second line. And Doug McEwen, who had been playing as a second line forward for three or four years, went back and played first line centre, and it was, you know, I'll even tell you, it was the, 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 the 94-95 season. He was unbelievable. I, I think, you know, he, he was the best player in the country that, that, that year. Um, and he scored a goal at Sheffield, which I, I know, um, Hubs, hopefully you can dig out. It's, it's one episode of Face Off when Face Off went away uh, and they covered the game in Sheffield. And, and his goal he scores is, is unbelievable. And yeah, Dougie McEwen was, the, 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 the puck was like a, a string on his stick and uh, he could go coast to coast better than, than probably anyone I've ever seen. And, and you talk, we talk of iconic moments, and the one that sticks out in my head for you know, a million miles is uh, the one Rocky Saganuk, where he, you know, ex NHL player who was coaching, had brought himself back into the lineup. And Dougie skates around his own net twice, and Saganuk follows him around twice. And then he goes right the way through the rest of the team and puts it away as well. Yep. It's, it's the most incredible goal. Franny, I'll ask your opinion on this one. So that era, we had four input forwards were expected to do points out of the out of the bag. Yeah, your input defenseman were meant to supply points at the bag as well as play 40 minutes, 50 minutes in the back end and be defenseman. Would you say Doug McEwen was our first proper two-way import? Um, because his work coming back, this the he was the master of the stick lift. Yeah, and then as JD says, being able to play both forward and defense. But I'm, I was thinking about it the other the other week, looking back to me, he was like the first of that really explosive, as you say, coast to coast, score goals, skate like the wind. But really, really, as proud of his defensive side of the game that I can actually remember from Devils Imports. I might be yeah. wrong. No, I think I mean Devils always had. Good, good imports, isn't they? You know, yeah. and uh, you couldn't argue about Mo's defensive side of the game because he was very diligent in his own end, and you know, came back to do the hard work. But I think because Doug was such a good skater that he, he, where where he would get noticed and probably why it sticks in people's heads about the defensive work is that if there was a turnover in the one end and there was a you know an odd man rush, he was the guy that would put the jets on there. And like you say, that stick lift wasn't it? It was very yeah. quick stick left and he's turned it and he's gone the other way then and you know sometimes turned that sort of giveaway into more offense and we'd go down and score so um yeah i mean versatility i, th I think his skating gave him the, vers the versatility because i wouldn't say he was a great defenseman you know like his teammates said about him he was a little bit all over the place mm -hmm. but when you can skate as well as that you can cover a lot of ground and that's you know that's really handy when you're a defenseman as we see with like say gleason fournier you know, you can you can cover so much of the ice, and you can, uh, you know, you can do a lot more there. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it uh, actually had a position because I think mm -hmm. he was that good, and especially with a coach like Lawless, just gives him the license to do what he wants. He's got intelligent uh, line mates like Moria and the guy that we'll come to talk about next. You know, as well as the the two on D, that you could let Doug go wherever he wanted. And they would read off him, and you know that that's why he was so effective. You know, he because he could just he, he was like a, a Roma, wasn't he? Yeah. 
Yeah, he was. Just just one more strange Doug memory, and, and uh, Franny Herbs, you'll remember. And, and this has nothing to do with Doug's uh, playing ability, but I remember um, when Brian Wilkie was playing for, for, for Bracknell, and the two of them went at it and had a point yeah. to the corner. And I, you know, I was 11, 12, and the world was still a beautiful place. It's like, no, they can't be fighting. They won Wembley <laughs> together. They must be best friends. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember Doug and, and Brian Wilkie having a right old tilt uh, going yeah. towards the boards at the Zamboni end. Yeah, because Doug, Doug was like really placid and, and stuff. But I mean, he was, you know, he, he, if he did lose it, he would lose it. And there, there is a story that we probably haven't told before. I don't think I have anyway. Um, <laughs> when we were in, so we, what was the year that we went to? It was after the year after Riga. And then we went to Minsk, didn't yeah. we, next year in the Continental Cup? Yeah. So we'd gone to Latvia and Latvia wasn't that bad a, a city. It was, you know, it, it was, you could see there was a bit of money there. And, mm -hmm. you know, we had the awful experience in the bad hotel, but then we got moved to the best hotel and it was actually pretty decent. So we were all excited when we were going back to, you know, to Russia, to, to Minsk, sorry. Um, and we turned up and it was horrific. It was so poor. It, I'd never seen anything like it in my life, you know, in terms of how bad it was. And the rink was like a, you know, a concrete rink in the middle of like um, a market, not, not, a, not a shopping mall, okay. but like a, like a market. So yeah. to go, go to the rink, you had to kind of walk through this market and it was really poor. And, you know, then you'd go into this concrete sort of rink and, and play your games. And I think it was after our last game um we'd all worked our way back to the hotel and of course we're getting on the beers in fact we weren't on the beers we were on the vodkas i remember swapping a broken stick for two bottles of stolichiana vodka and <laughs> and the, the person like the person that, that I was the currency with, in those days yeah, yeah they couldn't believe that I, that, that I was giving up a broken stick and there's me at 19 couldn't believe i was getting two bottles of stolichiana vodka <laughs> So anyway, so we, we've done our deals and we've got all these bottles of vodka. So we, we're just getting on it. And the bus is leaving to go back to the hotel and we're missing Shannon. And I think it was Shannon and Doug. It was just, maybe it was, there was a couple of others with them as well. And then later on, they roll, we, we had to wait for them and someone goes to find them and they roll onto the bus and they are steaming. So in typical Shannon fashion, he's bumped into these two market traders and he's nicknamed them Lemieux and Gretzky. Right, so he, he's befriended these guys, Lemieux and Gretzky, and they, they were like haggling over something. And it's ended up with Shannon and Doug and whoever else was with them. Maybe even Gary Stefan, because I think he guested for us on that trip, was it? Or was Maybe? it Doug Smale? No, it wouldn't, Doug Smale didn't drink, so it definitely Stephen. wasn't him. Yeah, it would have been Gary <laughs> Stefan then. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And they've gone into the back of the shop and they're doing shots of vodkas with Lemieux and Gretzky. So... So they, that's how the, you know, the Russians yeah. drink it, isn't it? Like a little shot glass and they pour their, their vodka yeah. and it was like one and then they pour another one. And I don't know how many shots in this and they were absolutely steaming. And Sean Ward, if you remember Sean yeah, Ward, our backup goalie at the yeah. time, he was very mouthy and, you know, he, he loved to get into people's skin. <laughs> and for some reason, he kept on doing, well, Doug was like um, Native American Indian, wasn't yeah. he? Or like or, or part of his heritage is. And Ward, he was doing like that. Oh, like like that and, and he was like doing it all the time and Dougie was absolutely hammered and Wardy's doing it more and Dougie just oh. went across and clocked Wardy <laughs> and Wardy's eye exploded and he, for the rest of the trip he had a massive <laughs> lump on his eye and that was uh, that was when I thought okay you, you don't you don't cross you don't Doug cross <laughs>
Yeah, so that was after a night with uh, Lemieux and Gretzky. Lemieux and Gretzky. More new characters you've introduced to the show, Franny. Yeah. I know, I know. I know it's Lemieux about... Gretzky taking this long to... Uh, yeah. I know, yeah. we haven't had a character for a while. Wasn't he <laughs> running back? Yeah, or any... That was Shannon. Yeah. yeah. I never I never knew why he was called Grek. Right, I don't think yeah. I... You know, Grek is how, um, you know, uh, Shannon and Norris and Moe used to call him, and then it was... MC and then it was yeah running bear Shannon called him and all all probably inappropriate things you can't say these days but um but yeah uh, and then he stuck with the nickname from the fans God I think some everything you want to know about Doug McEwen and and what he brought for the fans absolutely so we got two goats and a god (laughs) (laughs) so rounding off our five man on ice roster for the first decade is the brother of another member of this team. Ian Cooper is the man who gets the final spot, spending eight seasons winning 11 major trophies. John, we talked about all of the attributes that Stephen had. What made Ian different? I think Ian's work rate his ability to or willingness to do to go into the dirty areas and and just be a great line mate for particularly moria and and McEwen. um you know defensively responsible if if dougie was maybe caught up the ice uh, you know he wasn't the size of brad voth or anything but i think he would take players away and create room for for someone like steve moria to, to operate it so just hugely unselfish and you know, he was a, he was a winner. He he scored big goals. Um, you know, we, we we've talked about another era on other shows. You know, someone like Phil Hill maybe didn't score a lot of goals, but he tended to score big goals. I remember Ian Cooper, you know, scoring a lot of of of, of big goals. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm doing a disservice to Ian. I always feel a little bit like his agent. I still get the impression Ian loves Cardiff so much, but won't admit it because he 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 almost feels a bit, you know sad about the way things ended and, and, and it causes him a little bit of hurt. But I, I think deep down Ian, you know, wanted to finish his career in Cardiff and, and loves Cardiff. Um, and just, I love just winning. He, he wanted to win. He would take the shots. He would go to the front of the net. He would take cross checks. You know, he would stand there when we've got Shannon and Steven putting pucks at hundred miles an hour towards the net and, and, and trying to get tip-ins and things like that. Uh, and I think, you know, we've talked about the, the huge finesse of, of Moria and McEwen I think both of those guys would say that Ian Cooper was was so important to that chemistry because he did draw attention and he did take men away and he did go into the physical battles for them and he did go into the corners for them. Uh, just hugely un- unselfish, but but a, a big talent in his own right and and maybe gets lost in the shadow of his brother occasionally. Um, and and I think Ian Cooper stands on his own merit as a as a Devils legend. Even when he went into those corners, he still had the hands and the visions then to make passes out, to make plays from actually in those areas as well. Yeah, JD, I think you summed it up perfectly, to be honest. I think he's probably one of the most underrated um, players in Devils history. You know, Moria and McEwen aren't as good a players without Ian Cooper next to them because he was the perfect foil for them. You know, he played a very simple game. You know, he, he was given goes all night long, kept his feet moving, drove to the net, opened things wide up, parked himself in front, went into the corners, went and got the puck back, all those, did all the hard graft, all the hard miles. And, uh, you know, 
uh, Mo and Doug would be the first to, you know, to, to pay compliments to Ian Cooper as a line mate. And, you know, he was probably the perfect player for them to play with. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think probably he deserves a, a, a shout out. And this whole line, in fact, just thinking about it, with the exception of Jeff Smith, I'm sure Jeff could have done it, but I, I key on Ian and, and Stephen because they're, they're British guys. Yeah, they were great. They were Heineken League era. They were all Super League players. And, and Ian, yeah. Doug and, and, and Mo and Shannon won a Super League title with, with Cardiff and, and Stephen was playing in, in Manchester. So, yeah, there, there, there'll always be a little bit of pushback that it was the Heineken era. It was the Heineken era. But, but these guys also basically is a complete line, with the exception of yeah. Stephen and Jeff Smith, played together and, and won a Super League title together. Yeah, the second liners, weren't they? You know, yeah. they, were, they, were the, they were our second line and they just went about their business and gave you the same thing week in, week out and, you know, the cornerstone of the team. Um, yeah, all these guys stepped it up. You know, when, when the league stepped up, they stepped up. Yeah. So I, I was going to say, I think it's only fair to mention Ian's work then with the players benevolent for now. Yeah. And there's yeah, charity well, work he still does. He still comes over to Cardiff for the All-Stars and was playing on the Tehaven team for the last couple of years and was a, a great supporter of that. So it's another one who's actually given back to hockey players um, by the Benevolent Fund and local charities as well when he played in those. So, and, yeah, and, and, and back in the day, the, the yeah, chairman of the Players, players Association. Association. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that was, you know, I, I think that there's an element of him, you know, costing himself a job because of, you know, the um, the support that he gave to players when yeah. against the management of some teams. And I think, you know, he was uh, he was blackballed a little bit, if I'm yeah. honest, um, be- because of that, because it wasn't popular with owners. And, uh, and that's just not right, you know. As we know, all players need to be represented and have a right to. And, uh, you know, no wonder he feels a little bit harshly, harshly treated because uh, it was through him doing good for the players that, that might well have cost himself a job. Well, I, I think, you know, and again, he might, he might shout at me for speaking out of turn and, and maybe I'm reading between the lines here. I think he desperately wanted to be player manager when, when Lawless went. And, uh, you know, I think he would have been great at, at, at that role. And, um, you know, and, and after giving him too many props, the other thing I'd say to take away from him a bit, to coin a phrase from Youngblood, God, he was a pretty boy, wasn't he? Stephen was the tough, rugged defender. <laughs> Ian had those flowing blonde locks and everything. And um, another toy, the trike, didn't he? he had the trike yeah. and he had, he had his beetle, he had the jet ski. Yeah. It was, it was great being uh, on a team with him because you get to, got to go on all the toys. I remember you know, <laughs> riding, riding around on the back of his trike and going down the beach on his jet ski. And yeah, yeah, he, uh, yeah, he loved his boys' toys. <laughs> But guys, we must move on because we've got lots to talk about. Yeah, but uh, know, to, to, to cap this era off, the uh, the one remaining member of this roster, uh, the man that started it all, John Lawless. Indeed, there would be uh, none of the players uh, that we've been talking about without the man to, uh, with the vision to bring them all together and uh, played himself, of course, for many of the years, but it's his coaching and uh his vision that we will all remember. John Lawless is the coach of this era. And uh, well, guys, we wouldn't have this podcast. We wouldn't, uh, Fanny, you wouldn't have had the, the career you've had. We wouldn't have had all the enjoyment we've had from this sport, from this team, uh, without the man himself, John Lawless. And I wouldn't have been an official without John because he gave me my first ever job at the ice rink as a manager um, when he was the manager. So I would never have got into ice hockey without him. 
I don't yeah. know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> Before yeah, he didn't get so, everything so. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought JD was the one who's bringing negative things. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I was going to say the uh, the thing. The thing about I mentioned it before about John Lawless is when he got brought to Cardiff to bring all this together. He was twenty five years old. I find that an incredible achievement. Um, I also loved when we did that uh, Wembley Winners Edition where we got the nineteen ninety two back together. How grateful each and every one of those yeah. players were. They they all thanked him individually. You know, you talk about something else, and they'd say, "But I got to thank Johnny for bringing me in." Whether it was Robbie Morris, whether it was John Burnicle, whether it was you know the Coopers, whether it was Mo. You know, they all thanked him for bringing them in. And God, could he could he have a vision of what he wanted and what needed to be successful? Yeah. Anything from you know having a new uh, a new country to hockey like Wales was at the time. And bringing out shooting the scoreboard. I mean, that yeah. was my. That's what made me fall in love that, with yeah, the game. Yeah. I, I went down with friends from school, and I saw this guy, you know, sort of dropping the shoulder, going left, going right, putting that wrist shot top shelf, and then wheeling away. Where's he going now? And you know, he's turning round and he's doing the moonwalk, and he's popped the, you know, the uh, shot the clock, and that, and then in the holster it went, and that whole showmanship. It was yeah. perfect, you know, and, and to come up with that at 25 and then knowing that you've got to go out and get a player like Perry Olivier, who was great at, at that level and banging goals and Bill Taylor, the big physical guy, then knowing to upgrade them because mm-hmm. they need to take it to the next level and bring in Steve Moria. He went out and got the Cooper brothers. Nobody ever went for those kind of no. transfers in those days. And yes, he was he was backed by the owners, but you know, he had the vision and said, look, Absolutely. if you want me to make this successful, I need those guys. Yes. And, you know, aided by some good ownership and some very good sponsors, they went and got them. But it was his vision that, that set it up and he kept on raising the bar. And, uh, you know, every every Devils fan should be eternally grateful to that guy. I, uh, Franny, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, I don't want to say too much about him because I think we have to do a standalone episode with 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 John Lawless. Yep. I would echo shooting the scoreboard. The other thing I would just say is, um, and I mean no disrespect to, to, to other teams, and I'm not talking about Sheffield now, was that? There's teams that have never experienced maybe winning, and and I I I hated it in the big blue tent because you know the atmosphere great and everything. I never felt we could we would win the league title, and I was brought up in a John Lawless era, and John Lawless created a culture in Cardiff that you won, and okay, he he had the money and what have you, but he was he was ruthless when he had to be. He made the decisions at the right time, and sometimes I just think that mentality can get you through, and and it got me through, you know. The, the times when Franny and G were working miracles in the big blue tent, but we weren't quite there. I thought, well, we will get back to, to, to winning because that's the Cardiff Devils. And I, and I think some clubs never had that. And I think that's one of the most important foundations that John Lawler set for the Cardiff Devils is this organization wins. 100%. Absolutely. And um, I think the question I got for you, Franny, about Johnny's, I should look at all the personalities we've talked about. And I wonder, how did he manage a locker room that had you and all of the guys your age bouncing around the place, causing havoc? He's got Shannon going around (laughs) doing his thing. He's got all of these huge, huge personalities that he's working with on a daily basis. Did he just let all of you just get on with it? Was that the secret of it? Were you all just allowed to be yourselves? One of the things, the smart things he did do is uh, when it came to playoffs time and, you know, all the players stayed in 
the Hilton Hotel, which is right next to Wembley, he used to put all his young guys in a different hotel and then knew, knew that we were going to go out and have a good time. So he'd, uh, he'd ship us off to a different hotel and, uh, and let us do what we wanted. But no, he, he had one of those gifts that um, he let everybody bring their personality into it. And, you know, that, that's a fine art as well. He wasn't a micromanager. He, he put together the chemistry in the room um, and he knew that Shannon was always going to be clowning around. So he's no way going to try and curtail Shannon because you don't get an effective Shannon Hope then, you know, but then he's got with that, he's got the ultimate professional in Steve Moria. He was there. He's got, you know, the very placid sort of Doug McEwen, unless you do Indian noises and <laughs> he's had 20, tw well, he's 20 shots of vodka. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but he's got, you know, the serial winners in Stephen and Ian Cooper. He's got them there. So he knew, the, the, he, he, his dressing room controlled itself. I, I don't ever remember him having to step in and say, oh, you stop clowning around or take this seriously because he had built that machine to win and that everybody in that dressing room wanted to win. And like you said, JG, JD, it was the, the culture that he set up. It was about winning and everybody knew there was a time for clowning around, but there was game time as well. Yeah. And uh, indeed, there were lots of game time, lots and lots of trophies. Uh, up until very recently, he was uh, the most decorated coach uh, in Devils history. I mean, you, you will simply always be remembered. You can't have the Cardiff Devils and not think John Lawless and not, you know, have those two uh, names linked with each other. If you remembered forevermore, and they simply couldn't have been a, uh, a you know, a process like this and not have John Lawless involved. So, Moving on to the Super League year. And uh, I think it's fair to say this was the year we had the most trouble kind of whittling down uh, our nominees. And now the final vote has been cast. And we will start with the netminder. Probably for me, the best technical netminder the Devils have ever had. It's Derek Arlovsky. And uh, John will uh, come to you first for uh, Derek. He's uh, a guy who really um, is going to be remembered for being 12 seconds shy of a weekend shutout during uh, the playoffs in Manchester. But what a, what a fantastic netminder he was. Absolutely. But those 12 seconds would, uh, would annoy him because he was the competitor, <laughs> an ultra competitor, which which what I like. What I remember about Derek... And would, and would annoy you, JD, because you're a pessimist. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Me, me and Derek, we talk about it a lot. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think what, what, what I remember about Derek Olofsky is, you know, we, we, we just won the Super League, and I think Stevie was trying uh, North America again. And, and I think the idea was Derek was being brought in to be back up to, you know, play play a decent number of games, but be back up to, to Frank Caprice. And... Um, Frank Capri started that that second year of Super League in in um, in pretty good fashion, but I think we lost the the Benson Hedges Cup final to to Air, and, and and maybe Frank got injured or went on a bit of a downward slide, and and Alofsky came in, and he was just he was unbelievable, um, and yeah, just such a good competitor, um, so good on on his angles, um, you know, heartbreaking. I, I know he conceded the goal off his skate in the playoff final that year, and that that would annoy him as well, but. Just, just in a, in a tight game, I'd, I'd always, um, I'd always back him. 
yeah, great reflexes, good, good rebound control, great competitor. I think he was pretty good for his time in terms of, 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 of playing the puck. But it was just all so unexpected because, again, he was he was going to come in as the backup to, to, to Frank Caprice. And, you know, for my money and, and, and to echo you, uh, Gaz, uh, you know, for, for, for a backup, he probably turned out to be pound for pound the best net mind of the Devils ever had. Uh, he also became uh, a representative of Team USA uh, during his time with the Devils, I believe, as well. Made a, a couple of appearances during the mid-season, which, uh, you know, when you think of that now, is unbelievable that someone playing in the UK could, could break through to that kind of rank. Franny, what are uh, your memories of uh, playing with Derek? Yeah, I, I didn't actually play too much with him. I mean, this was a, an era where the Brits were getting bumped out of the, the game because this, you know, the Super League became the Super Super League. And, you know, the uh, I think they did away with the import rules. So I didn't, didn't actually play too much with him. But... Um, you know, I, I know when he came in, yeah, he was meant to be the backup to NHL Frank Caprice. Um, and then, uh, so he formed, you know, he, he kind of won that battle almost by the end of the season. And then, you know, when Stevie came back from North America, you know, Stevie's the hot young prospect, so he had to fight him off. But, you know, Halofsky, I think, had probably the most starts uh, of those two as well. And that just shows the quality, you know, when he's battling against those two goalies. And just... It also just shows you the. Uh, that's the one thing that that stands out for me of the Super League era compared to the Elite League era. I think the quality of play is maybe better in the Super in the Elite League era. Uh, I think you know there was quite a lot of dump and chase in the uh, in the Super League days, but the quality of the netminder in terms of the depth as well. Each team had two two legit mm-hmm. netminders, and uh, you know we were very fortunate in Cardiff to have guys like Caprice. Lyle and of course Halofsky was uh, was arguably the best of, of the lot. You, you're right, Franny. I'm just off the top of my head. You that year, sort of Halofsky and Cardiff, Rob Dobson in air, probably Peter Angelo in Manchester. Um, yeah, Peter Angelo did he have a Stanley Cup ring or something yep. like that? Didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So. yeah <laughs> he did. He did. Um, you know, there was some there was some great goalies throughout the year. Trevor um, Robbins. Trevor Robbins. Trevor Robbins. Yeah. yeah. Kevin. Sorry, yeah, Mark, Mark Cavlin and, and Wayne Cowley, who had played yeah. in the NHL, hadn't he? Yeah, so there was there was some top knot net netminders, but Halofsky was um, yeah, and and Gaz to, to your point at the very top, you know that that uh, that weekend in Nottingham when we won the 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 playoff title, you know people remember uh, Nicky Chin and rightly so for the hat trick in the semi final and, and Ivan's two goals in the final and rightly so, but you know Derek Halofsky was was pretty unbeatable that weekend. He did. Resign to come he back did. during the elite league year. Ed Patterson, uh, during his first season as coach, had sealed that deal, but uh, Halofsky pulled out, claiming he felt he wouldn't meet the standards he had previously set, um, for himself. And uh, the devil's I don't, to, do you not remember that, friend? I don't think I do, yeah. No, it did. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 I, I, it was announced in Gretzky's bar that he wasn't coming back. It was some sort of social. Yeah. I, yeah, I remember that, Gaz. And he was very well, honest. About it. Peter Aubrey uh, stepped in oh. to the breach. So uh, it worked out well in the end, or sort of, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, a Challenge Cup winner that year. So uh, it wasn't uh, a situation that the Devils missed out. But I think maybe Hurley was 
clever in seeing that it wasn't going to be sharing duties like before. Mm-hmm. It would have been very much a uh, sort of 60 game campaign. Yeah, and I think um, I think what he probably also foresaw is that had he come back and not performed, then you know some fans that we won't mention by name would probably not remember the four good years he had. Would probably just remember that last poor season. You talk about me again. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know what we do remember is Holowski's uh, time in that Super League era, winning that playoff trophy uh it was to be a, a trophy the last trophy for a long time so uh it was one that would live long in the memory but very deserving of being on this list moving to the first defenseman of the super league and uh yeah john step forward again for this one it's uh a guy, I must say, I probably associated more as a forward in my fandom than a defenseman, but he makes the defence list. Captain of the Super League winning team of 1996, Mike Way. Just, just presence. And, and um, yeah, I, I, prob- I, I said on the last episode, I, I preferred him as a, as a forward. But wherever you play, my, my overriding memories of, of Mike Ware were the, the, the Murrayfield games prior to, to him signing for, for Cardiff. And you just knew something was going to happen. You know, I, I think Hubs, you, <laughs> used, you used the term earlier box office and let's not forget this guy was, was in the Edinburgh, uh, Edinburgh capital, Ed, uh, Edmonton Oilers farm system when the Edmonton Oilers, you know, were winning Stanley cups with the likes of Gretzky and, 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 and Messier. So he knew how to play hockey. He could put up a hundred points a year in the Heineken league, but he was, everyone was just, you know, scared stiff of him and, and credit to Nicky Chin. Nicky Chin tried, you know, stood up to him as uh, one game particularly, but, but, but Mike Ware was just presence. He was box office. And then when he signed for Cardiff, um, you know, we weren't going to be messed around, but we also had this guy who could, who could really play. Um, and like I said, yeah, I, I liked him as a forward, particularly that first year he played with Randy Smith and Ivan Machulik. And that was just two big bodies on the wings. And then Randy Smith, who was a pure goal scorer. Um, maybe a, a little bit of a, a, a surprise when he was initially named captain and, and um, you know, I'm sure Franny w- would have more feedback on that being in the, the locker room, but he seemed to take to, to the role like a, you know, a, a duck to water. And, um, you know, and that was probably a shrewd choice by, by Paul Heavey. Um, you know, he had that long reach. He, he was just, he was an imposing presence on the ice. And, um, you know, I, I think in Cardiff, um, there's a lot of love for those guys who, uh, um, you know, can can have that presence and uh, and make Cardiff feared uh, uh, around the league. But it's always with Mike. You don't want to just talk about the fighting because Mike was a, a hell of a hockey player. And again, to come out of that Ed, um, Edmonton system, um, you know that that's that's just you know praising itself. Yeah, he's one of the players. When I played, I used to love finding players with short tempers that I could wind up, and that was my way to try and contribute. <laughs> But he was one of the players that I was genuinely scared of. You know, I don't think I would have, I don't think I did go anywhere near him um, because you just honestly wouldn't know what he was going to do, especially in that Edinburgh. And uh, it's interesting that you said about Shrew Choice as captain because I think what he was trying to do there was give him some responsibility mm-hmm. to try and take that red mist away. And I think it worked to an extent yeah. because I can't remember too many times during that year that he did lose his mind and no. it, it often helps when you're on a 
a winning team. But yeah, I think giving him that responsibility, he almost felt um, uh, some responsibility to his teammates to, to not take silly penalties. And then you've got him playing physical, you've got him being intimidating and scary without the suspensions and the crazy stuff. So yeah, well, well played Heaves for, for making that move. And of course, whereas he was the... Uh, the first person to lift the uh, the elite um, the Super League trophy, and we won it in that in that first year. Um, so you know, iconic sort of vision in my head is where's he with the with the yeah. big Monteith ball? <laughs> Absolutely. Can I tell you a quick Redmond story? Of course. Yep. So with Mike, when the friendly say used to get the red mist, you could see his eyes. His eyes would go, and yep. a lot of the Super League, I was lining with um, another local linesman, Tim Williams. Mm-hmm. And you, when his eyes went, we both looked at each other and went, it was like, oh, shit. It was that moment of dread, where's it going to go? What are we going to do? We had to employ little ta- tactics like this to try and get him back. And there's things like seeing Christmas carols. So he'd be compounding people and we're like singing jingle bells. And he'd suddenly go, what? <laughs> and just to break the red mist. Yeah. And th- there was another couple of players we had to use similar tactics. Like, I-, I can't remember how we even came up with that one, but all of a sudden, two of us are singing jingle bells in the middle of a whole fight. <laughs> right. but, but you have to do something different to your normal hand over the top, come on, guys, and stuff like that. Because as soon as oh, he wasn't, he guys, wasn't stopping. He wasn't hey? stopping. He wasn't stopping for anybody, was he? <laughs> um, good consensus. But you see his eyes <laughs> flip, go back, and you, and you just knew. We're in for a couple of minutes or five minutes of a bit of mayhem or madness or yeah. that sort of stuff. But off the ice, I was talking about off the ice. What a genuinely nice. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say the same thing. It's quite often the way is the guys that are the scariest on the ice are, are the nicest guys off the ice. And you know, Mike had the biggest heart. And again, you know, you talk about him being a captain and what it was like in the locker room. Everybody knew that he had you know the heart the size of a lion and would do anything for any of the boys and. Uh, you know, he, he had massive respect in that in that locker room. You still see Ivan talking about him yeah. and communicating on Facebook and, and stuff like that and the stories they have going back and forth. And I can't wait to manage to get an Ivan podcast and yeah. get more. Well, he's, he's waiting to come on. He's, he is waiting. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I think, right. you know, hopefully he'll be our next guest that we get on and we'll, we'll go through some of those stories because, you know, that, that is interesting that, you know, Ivan coming across the border from Czechoslovakia uh, and landing in... Uh, in Edmonton or you know in the farm team and he buddies up with Mike Ware now I would love to go in a time machine and be there <laughs> for the first meeting of those two Ivan barely speaking English no. Mike barely Mike speaking, barely speaking English, English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wasn't it on a beach or something and they someone told the short story that they the the beach in Ivan's or or Mike Ware's trunks or something and then straight away it was one of the other because of what they were wearing I think it's so like Ivan turning up and wearing speedos because that's yeah, what yeah, he wore in uh, in Czechoslovakia, and and that wasn't quite what was worn in North America. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'll we'll get Ivan on to tell the stories because Ivan's great, a great storyteller yeah. too. But well, uh, Mike Way was uh, the name on the back of my first ever devil shirt, um, which is still kicking around some way, and uh, I just remember. I think he's probably the reason I'm hooked on the sport because if you see a guy that size doing mad things and being lauded for it, then uh, yeah, there's uh, there was no going back. Once you see someone that's that larger than life, who's actually really it's like a wrestler, really, it was a bit like <laughs> WWF. He's just 
I can't believe this guy's real. And uh, yeah. glad he's made and, the list. Yeah, and you talk of iconic moments again, and you know, seeing that he didn't lose his his stuff as much as he did, but then that uh, that Brendan Urema moment, Ware's been sent to the penalty box, and Urema's acting the big showman, and he's mm. putting on this big dramatic thing, and then doing the chicken dance, isn't he? And then yeah. all yeah. of a sudden, Ware's he flies out the penalty box, and uh, it's Urema and Uteris was the other player involved in that from London in uh, oh, yeah still sends a shiver those those okay. five ten minutes <laughs> oh, quality entertainment though <laughs> so there we have it Mike Waverly uh, captain of the Super League winning Devils team makes the list and alongside him as uh, the second defenseman of the Super League era is uh, Wales's own Jason Stone Man with, uh, well, what can you say about Stoney? Uh, trophies coming out of his <laughs> trophies galore, uh, thousands literally of appearances, um, coming out through junior development. When you think of what the Cardiff was meaning to the community and sort of impact it's had on Wales as a whole, Jason Stone is a great ambassador for that, yeah. And knowing Stoney like we all do, Stoney will be embarrassed by yep. this, <laughs> by this selection into the team. He'll go, there's no way I was, you know, I was better than Kip Noble. There's no way I was better than Frank Evans. You know, he, he, he plays himself down and he was his harshest critic. But you don't play 1,100 and whatever games it was across, you know, three different eras uh, if you can't play the game. And, you know, every... As much as we love all the flair players and the goal scorers and you know all, all the ones that get all the headlines, any championship winning side needs the glue guys, and Stoney is exactly that a glue guy, you know, in terms of somebody that was willing to sacrifice his, you know, his own sort of flair to play the defensive side of the game. Because when I mean, you look at some early video when he was a forward, mm-hmm. he had he had good hands, he had good okay. shots, you know, he was up on that. Wing wasn't he with Chinny and Doug yeah. McEwen, and you know he was producing. And there's some, you know, some goals you'll you'll see there where he's you know pulls some moves and everything. So he had that in his locker as a as a junior, and then as a young forward coming in. And then you know as as we know, Stephen Cooper uh, gets a nasty knee injury, and then Stoney's asked to play D, and he does it so well, and he adapts his game to be this defensive defenseman. And, you know, it was like having another goalie out there. You know, mm-hmm. he was, uh, you know, he blocked shots, but he was always dependable. He was always back there. Whoever played with him knew that he had their backs. And uh, to do that over the length of time that he did, you know, it is phenomenal. And, uh, you know, I know he'll be bashful about his selection in the team, but it, it is well-deserved. And, you know, to keep out players like Kip Noble and Frank Evans, who are great players, and, you know, this is voted for by the fans. So I don't care what he thinks or what he says. Um, there's a, a lot, a lot of people that recognise his efforts um, and, you know, makes him a, a very worthy selection of this team. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. yeah. And, and Franny, the other thing I'd say, I'd, I'd love the fact that a stay-at-home defenseman gets in because when you have these votes, it's the fact yeah. that it's, it's, it's the Rolls-Royce guys who can, you know, play defence but also score the points. Yeah. Who, who get in. I love the fact he gets in on merit as a stay-at-home defenseman. I, I had him in, in my team. I know a few of us uh, um, uh, did. Yeah, he, he didn't maybe score 40, 50 points a season as a defenseman, but in his own zone, his positional sense, 
his ability to block shots, to get in the lanes. Um, okay, he didn't do the glamorous side of things, and maybe that's why he wasn't a um, the fan favorite. But but I think he gets on this team in merit, and I really hope he, you know, and I, I didn't play the game, Franny, you, you did, and, and Hubs, you were on the ice, so I, I'll, I'll bow to you on on this, but as someone who watched the sport quite a bit and thinks he knows a little bit, he gets in this team on merit, and I really hope he listens to this and and, and, and believes that, because, yeah, he he should be in this team, for, from my opinion, uh, and this is not a, a sentimental vote, this is not a pity vote, this is a, you were a superb stay-at-home defenseman who, again, in the Super League era, one best British defenseman of the year. Yeah. You know, he, he wasn't just a Heineken League player. This guy played it. He he was a he was a guy who took up minutes in a in a Super League team uh, and did um, and must have been a coach's dream. And as a, yeah. he was a winner and he cared. You could yeah. tell how much he cared about the club um, and winning um, and just cared for the, well, just if you have well, a, and, an ultimate Cardiff Devils team, somebody who would who would. It's like, what's the word I'm looking for? Embodiment, the yeah, the love of the club and wanting to do well for the club. Um, during those years, it was um, Stony that that will. Yeah, any anyone that's listening to this that's ever played summer hockey with him will know how competitive he is. And anyone that's ever played football with yeah. him, or anyone yeah, that's yeah. ever played squash against him, or yeah, yeah. tennis against him, or whatever sport it is. Um, I mean, we used to train in the summers. And the whole purpose of that was, you know, to keep in a bit of nick, but more that we could go for a few beers down Mill Lane after or, or whatever. And in those games, you know, he had to be on the winning side. And, you know, he would want to keep playing until his side was winning. Um, and if you made a mistake that cost a goal, like he would give you a massive kind of dressing down. And it was, mm-hmm. everyone was like, yeah, what are you on about? It's summer hockey. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter if it was summer hockey or it didn't matter if it was a, you know, a, a cup final. He, he was very, very, very competitive, um, way too harsh on himself. Yep. And the one thing that I wish for Jason Stone is I wish Jason Stone had Nicky Chin's confidence mm-hmm. because Nicky Chin uh, was a very confident guy, very, very talented. And he pushed himself onto that next level in people's eyes and sort of reputation um, where Stoney had this kind of... Um, bashfulness you know he didn't think that he deserved it you know he had that almost imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and that's why i know he'll be saying oh i shouldn't have got in there above frank evans and kip and whatever but you know we know that he should yeah. um but you know like the gb selections he was named in the gb team and he wouldn't go on the yeah. trips because he thought he wouldn't play and what was the point in going if he wasn't going to play and that, that's a confidence thing because when you go into those tournaments a guy like jason stone just makes your team better especially when you're going up against better nations and you need people who are very, very sound defensively. He'll be an ideal pick for that GB team and he would have got a lot of minutes for them. But in his mind, there was other players who were going to play more, so you know he wasn't good enough for it. And it's such a shame because he had, you say, had all the tools. I mean, you play 1,167 games. That's a lot of coaches who uh, can't be wrong if they're uh, <laughs> yeah. given in that the ice timer and that, uh, you know, career. So uh, really, really pleased to see that not only um, we have number 10 hanging from the rafters, but now uh, number 10, Jason Stone, will also be in the Cardiff Devils team of all time. So that's our defenseman. That's our goalie. 
we'll go to the forwards. And uh, I had a devil shirt with number 26, Mike Weir, on it. My brother had a devil shirt with number 22, Ivan Matilik, on the back of his, because that is the man who's taking up our next spot. Uh, man who just, for me, when I think of Ivan Matulik, I just think passion and I just think intensity uh, and I just think a uh, winner. Uh, what a player Ivan was in Devil's Colours. John, I would delight you for you as a fan when uh, Ivan Matulik put pen to paper on a card of Devil's contract. It was an exciting summer and it was... Um... You know, it kind of needed to be because it was the summer that Lawless left, and it was, you know, what happens next? Um, the, the, the only thing we'd known was was John Lawless being at the Devils, and and all of a sudden Paul Heavey had this job to to build on that, and 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 fair play to to, to Heaves. He, he he made some good signings, some box office signings, some reassuring signings. So you know, you bring the likes of of, of Moria back uh, with that continuity, and then you you get. Mike Ware turning up with it with his brother Greg and uh, and then Ivan Matulik and Ivan has just come off a, a big season in, in Edinburgh um, after previously coming off a, a big season in in Sheffield. Uh, I, it's going to say and, and cut this out, Hubs, if if this is inappropriate. But I, I remember at the time it's kind of the mid nineties and there's there's Ivan is from from Eastern Europe and you know there were civil wars going on in Eastern Europe at the time. It was kind of like you could see Ivan on the battlefield, you know, just being supreme soldier and, and what have you i just think the guy was the guy looked like ivan drago in rocky four <laughs> you know he was just he was he was like a pure athlete and and you know franny said about obviously on being scared of mike Ware because when the red mist goes but in terms of somebody who just looked strong and tough and 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 you know who could you know if he got into an argument with a car i think the car would come off <laughs> first so to me that was ivan matulik and then you match that up with the fact he could skate like the wind and, and his wrist shot, I, I'm not sure I've ever seen a, a wrist shot quite as good as, as Ivan Matulik's. And then, as you say, caring, passion, wanting to win, all these things come together. I'm, I'm surprised he didn't, you know, have a, a prolonged career in the NHL um, because he had the skating ability, he had the physicality, he had the technical ability, but it, 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 was, it was our gain. And, you know, I, I can't wait to have him on because I think that will be a great episode. Yeah, definitely. It's... Um... When you go back to our captain's edition, I think we voted him as the best captain of all time, didn't we? And, and that was his, uh, you know, his leadership quality. I mean, what a dressing room guy, you know, deadly serious in games, knew when the right moment was to make it lighthearted. And he's got a, a most amazing sense of humour, um, knew also when was the right time that a player needed an arm around them or to you know, take them out for a beer or for lunch or whatever to see what was up. You know, he cared about his teammates you know, passionately. He cared about Cardiff. You can t still tell that Cardiff holds a massive place in his heart. You know, he's he's forever um, keeping in touch. Um, he always sends me um, good luck messages when we've got a big game or um, a big cup final and, you know, some little ditties about, you know, in the past when we were doing so well and then we went on to success and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's, He's somebody that really found his home in Cardiff, isn't he? You know, like you say, he he should have had a um, you know a, a shot of the NHL with with those kind of attributes, especially how powerful he was. I mean, mm. 
just the speed he could skate, but the size of him and the strength of him. I mean, it was it was perfectly set out for for the game at the time. I think it was a knee injury that he had yeah. that probably cost him at a key moment. Because if I remember rightly, and he'll be able to confirm it, he was set. I mean, that that's the other thing. He was probably on the wrong team as well, wasn't he? Because the Oilers, yeah, of the nineties were dominant, and um, he was in the the right team at the wrong time, or yeah. or whatever you want to say. Um, if it was a lower place team, no doubt he would have got a call up. But I think he was ready to get a call up for the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, and he injured he injured his knee um, right at uh, right at the wrong time. So it could have been a lot different for him. But that was our game. Um, you know, he it was weird when he was in his first year in Sheffield. He, he you know they had that rotation, didn't they, with the imports? Mm-hmm. They had one yeah. too many and you know, Emmett and Callan, Steve- yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know they, they, you know they sort of rotated them, and he didn't really have that kind of flow. Then he had that incredible year in uh, in Murrayfield, Edinburgh, whatever they were, um, mm-hmm. a lot of points. And then he came to us and uh, and never looked back. Yeah, just to touch on the other side of his captaincy as well. Um, obviously, he was great in the changing room, but he was also one of the better captains to work with from the officiating side of it as well. Um, he was great with. Great with us on the ice, and he was one of the captains. You, you knew that if you had an issue, that you you could go to Ivan either off ice um, during the week or on ice during the game. And you see him now still engaging with the fan base, and then you can see how well that's well received. With them. unfortunately his recent sad news, but then the outpouring from the Cardiff fan base back to Ivan is reciprocated as well. And again, uh, as he says, as as Franny says, he's always in in contact before um, big games and you can just see his love for the city and yeah, I can't wait for that episode. Indeed, we will get Ivan on as soon as we can to uh, talk about the many successes he had in Devil's Colours and uh, indeed, much like everyone else, such a worthy uh, place on this Devil's team of all time, playoff winning captain, Scoring both the goals, of course, in that final will be forever remembered and uh, we'll have a story or two from him. Joining him as a forward is a man who has been a guest on this podcast and had so many good stories about his time as a devil and delighted to see him on this roster. Vezio Sacratini is the next person to be added onto the Devils team of all time. Uh, John, we've got in spades what the Cardiff Devils and what the city of Cardiff means to Vez when we spoke to him quite recently. Uh, yeah, we, we, we certainly did. And uh, there's playing ability and then there's just, you, you want guys to get in because they, they do love the club almost as, you know, or probably as much as, 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 as you love the club. And after we did the last episode, I'm sure a few of us got this message. Vez, Vez messaged me and said, I really hope I get in. It would mean so much to me to, to, to get in. Um, you know, and I'm not sure if he expected to get in. I'm not sure why, because he was fantastic as a hockey player. Again, you know, pe- people remember certain traits, dominating traits about people, Mike Ware's size and, and, and physicality, and they remember Vez being a pest. Vez's hockey skills were, were you know, seconds to none. His his playmaking ability, his, his kind of feather shot. I always love when Vez played the... The, the power play quarterback role at the blue line, his ability to get a puck through to the net was, was unbelievable. Great in face-offs. Um, 
And and you know, as as Franny I think coined the the phrase before, the best walk on in in, in Cardiff Devils history. You know, he, he was he was he was just everything you want a, a Cardiff Devil to be. He was nasty. He wanted to win. He scored goals. Um, you know, skill in in abundance. And and someone who 10, 15 years later still wants to be in and around the the Cardiff hockey community. And um, yeah, a, 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 another one who you know. Don't just remember Vez the Pest and, and don't remember Mike Ware, the, 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 just the tough guy. Remember, actually, these were very, very good hockey players. And, and Vezio Sacratini was, um, uh, yeah, well, it was, it was a privilege to watch him play for the Devils. Yeah, and as we talked about with Jason Stone, and you know, it goes through all these guys, you know, the common theme in terms of the, the competitiveness. But, you know, Vez was a massive, massive competitor. You know, you couldn't get off the table tennis table if you did managed to get lucky and beat him he'd, he'd need to play you again he'd have to walk away from that table tennis table having won it you know he's a, a near <laughs> near scratch golfer he's you know he's an excellent sportsman um but competitive you know I, I i just if i think of vez i think of him on the face-offs a little chirp before a little slash with a stick something just to kind of get the edge and then bang he's won it he's won the big draw and you know he would do whatever it took to get the edge, and you know that's where a lot of his chirping that that would get him in the game or get somebody else off their game. Um, but you know, skill in abundance, you know, an amazing shot. You know, he's often sort of talked about as a as a passer, but I loved his shot as well. You know, me and Vez used to call it the automatic because you know when he pulled the trigger, it was top shelf automatic every time. You know, he had it. You know, he was his accuracy was just second to none. Um, but yeah, just uh, you know, just a, a very, very competitive guy and a winner. Question for you, John, as, as a fan: hmm. Did Vez have a touch of the John Lawless about him? Do you think that kind of helped him sort of become a fan favorite quite a bit more quickly? Because again, he looks a similar size to me. That's kind of. Well, it's sort of probably in a similar way to you reference Mike Ware, guys. You know, you notice him on the ice because he looks different to the other players' skating style. And and, but as you can probably tell, I I don't know if this has come up. I, I kind of like the 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 anti heroes, the the competitive people with a bit of a a, a chip on their shoulder. You know, I'm uh, I was a huge Ryan Infinity fan when he was in Cardiff. Obviously, we're about yeah. to talk about. You know, Lawless was a horrible on the ice for, for, for opponents to play against and and so was Vez so when you marry up the fact that he, he had that skill his, his diminutive figure but the the big heart that, that belied that um, and and then the fact that he was this this pest this rink rat um, yeah he, he was always going to be a, a, a fan favorite and again you go back to that Super League winning year and I know we spoke about it in the last episode that was a third line Sacratini, McCarthy yeah. and Uchuk and and McCarthy and Sacratini were in the top five um, point scorers in in in, in the whole league, and um, yeah, he 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 was always going to be a fan favorite, and uh, and continues to be so. I was surprised to hear him say when he he was on the episode that the the Challenge Cup in two thousand and six was what he considers his favorite success as a as a Cardiff Devils player, considering he was there for the Super League and the, and the playoff wins. Um, Back in the in the Super League era, um, Franny, when Vez came back in that in that elite league time in those couple of seasons, was he was he the same Vez? Was it was it you know how important was he to that sort of 
restart for the elite league for the club at the time? He was definitely the same Bez, you know, um, <laughs> always full of energy. Or I mean, he, when he was telling stories, you know, he was they were coming out, and you know, he, he's a great talker and. But that's what he's like in the dressing room too. He was always the guy, you know, he would go around before the game and like smash her on the shin pads. Come on, we're going tonight. Come on, boys. Come on, boys. You know, real sort of fire up guy. And he was like that, you know, straight away, you know, when he uh, when he came over, um, you know, self-assured, but, you know, looking to G the guys up. And then when he came back, it was just like, you know, he hadn't been away really. So, you know, he knew a few guys from from his time from before, um, and he just, it just felt like he was coming home. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't a different Vez. It wasn't, there wasn't anything that changed about him from being a success at the Super League. You know, he was, he was the same Vez and, uh, you know, brought the same qualities to that dressing room. The other thing I like about him, very, very prim and proper, very rarely swears. Um, yeah. <laughs> 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 We haven't been demonetized from YouTube or anything for his episode, so... Uh... No, we, we, we just got an E for explicit next to it. Yeah. <laughs> we did have a bleed button, but it broke. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, great to see players uh, on this list. And I, uh, I'm sure we'll get a message from him when he gets his shirt and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, it'll be good to, to touch base to them again and... But I think it's talk about John, his feelings for this. As John alluded to, it's been great to see some of the guys and Vez was on the first one when the team was announced. I, I got both messages as well, but then you could see him put online that how much it meant to meant to him to be chosen and and it, it's that's been lovely to see on, on the social media side of it actually how much it does mean to these players. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, well, we got one more player before we move on to the coach of this era to uh, run the rule over. And uh, we talked about Ivan Matulik and uh, all that he brought to the Devils. Synonymous with Matulik's time was his line mate during many of the Super League years. Steve Thornton rounds out our five-man on-ice team and undoubtedly... I think it's fair to say Steve Thornton signing turned the tide of the Super League title race, John. It, it was a big pickup. Look, I, I said on the last um, episode, uh, Gaz, and I think Franny made a great point about Ian Cooper earlier, and, and, and I would echo with the same sentiment. For, for me, pound for pound, Steve Thornton is is maybe the most underrated player in Devils history, and, he, and he's, he's viewed highly by the fans, but he never quite gets mentioned in the same category as other players perhaps because he had that awkward little stutter or, or, or stick control, as Franny's mentioned before. But you know, I, the, 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 to, to go and play in, in, in Sweden um, and, and do well there, and, and I just I, I think he saw the ice so well. I liked him as a centre. I liked him as a winger. Yeah, you know, Stefan Zisch could have had the, 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 the role on this line. He didn't because Fortune uh, smiled on Steve Thornton and he came in and played on that line with, with Hodge and, and, and Machulik. But you know, he scored that hat trick at Sheffield. I think on on Boxing Day that really turned the tide. He, um, I think he scored the the actual title clinching goal that year against Manchester. Um, and but I I just I, I'm not sure he gets put in the same bracket as certain players. Maybe because he didn't have the physicality, or maybe because he didn't have the rasping wrist shot or, or slap shot, and maybe he didn't go coast to coast like Doug McEwen. 
but I remember Steve Thornton running certain games, just his, his IQ on the ice, knowing where to be and, and, and how quickly he moved the puck. You know, the puck was, was on and off his stick pretty quickly, but he, he could stick handle as well. He could, he could finish. So I'm, I'm, I, I wonder whether, and, and obviously a fan base evolves after th- over 30 plus years, certain of our fans maybe only associate Steve Thornton with playing against the Devils, uh, uh, you know, with the likes of, of, of Belfast. Um, but for those who, who kind of saw Steve Thornton in those Super League years, and, and, and Franny, maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree here, maybe we sometimes we overlook just how good a player he was. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right when, in the comment you said about other players maybe were more graceful skaters or more flair. But then you get those players, and we had one in the um, uh, in the uh, Elite League era, uh, John Palais, who was in the right place at the right time, and that is a gift in itself. I mean, he didn't have to go coast to coast because he read the game so well. He was just Johnny on the spot, you know, at, at the right time, and you know, his reading of the game. It, it's a it's a gift, and not you can't train to do that. You can't, you know, it's not like skating where you can improve it it's not like you know stick handling or your shot where you can spend the hours putting it in there's some players that are gifted to read the game and he definitely had that gift you know about um being in the right place at the right time and uh yeah you know he's a unique player and like and you say yeah i think he is underrated in what he contributed you know he was the the top scorer or one of the top scorers in every year that he played for us and um you know across a very very um, highly sort of skilled era, wasn't it? Uh, you know, yeah. the Super League era, and um, phenomenal player. You know, like I said on the, the the previous edition when we did the nominations, when he first came in, and I saw him in practice. I thought, oh, you know, perhaps I won't get bumped down the lineup <laughs> because he, he looked really awkward. And I thought, oh, you know, he's chopping away at the puck here, and then scoring, you know, twenty goals in practice or whatever. But yeah, he, he got lucky on those, and then he comes in the game and he gets a hat trick and. Uh, yeah. You know, um, all those things. And I, I think we mentioned off camera about the, the fastest uh, ever goal in the Super League, wasn't it? It's yeah. How many seconds? Eight, eight seconds. Eight, 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 eight seconds. Sec- mm-hmm. Yeah, eight, eight seconds. Uh, for those of you that can remember the, the poster up on the way to Gretzky's yeah, bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, a very underrated player. Um, you know, remembered on that iconic line of Ivan, Ken Hodge and, and Thoughts. Um, but very, very well worthy of his spot on this uh, this Super League era roster. Yeah, I like how you said there, uh, Franny. You remember that picture on the way up to Gretzky's bar because you never used to remember much of the way down. Fall fall down the stairs on the way up to Gretzky's. <laughs> Franny Sorry, probably John. Franny probably stole it, guys. He's got the most of the Welsh National Light Trick in his share. <laughs> no, I, I was I was just going to say, guys. Um, you know. You and I have uh, had the privilege of, of, of interviewing um, people, and, and I was really pleased when I got to interview Steve Thornton in his role as GM at, at Belfast because you know he was a, a favorite player of mine at the Devils. And it's always nice when you you speak to somebody and, and you hope they're going to be sort of stand up people, but he he really is a lovely guy, very considered guy. You know, every, everything he says is is um, eloquent and, and well thought out. It's very different to me, um, and. <laughs> You know, I, 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 I've just got complete respect for him as, as the hockey player he was, um, but also having minimal dealings with him, um, you know, since he's been at Belfast, interviewing him a few times. Also the person he is as, as, as well. And I know uh, 
I know Todd thinks a huge, uh, a huge amount of him. And um, yeah, you know, I, I, again, I go back to the fact, I think he's probably underrated, but maybe he's not because he's, he's been voted into this team. <laughs> and I think actually, Joe, you probably hit the nail on the head there as to why maybe he doesn't get talked about as much as, as in, I, I think he was quite happy to blend in the background of being surrounded by huge characters. Um, you know, his, his, his play is, is as undoubted, but he doesn't strike me as someone who was going to be, you know, going around schmoozing sponsors like Shannon Hope was, or yep. is he going to be having Christmas carols having his year by hubs because he's beaten someone up? <laughs> so I think maybe that's just the, the, the kind of thing is he was an excellent player, but he was surrounded by so many larger than life uh, personalities that maybe that's why he isn't, as you say, maybe talked about as, as often as maybe he should be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but these are five Super League players and uh, what a bunch of players they are. And they need a coach. They need someone to lead them. And that coach is uh, the person who brought uh, the majority of these players into Cardiff. Paul Heavey gets the nod for this era, winning the Super League title in 1996 as a coach and the playoff title in 1999. Um, a player before, of course, the impossible job of taking over from John Lawless. And you have to give his huge credit for taking on that task and not falling flat on his face, not failing, but actually probably evolving the club on from those heady days of John Lawless. Yeah, I think that's not to be underestimated because you quite often see it in sport, don't you? After one year of finishes, then it, you know, it takes a few attempts to find the right guy to, to replace. Um, and, you know, with John Lawless going, it was, you know, the cornerstone had gone from our club and he used to be been you know, player and a captain and, you know, he, he was more of a role player, wasn't he, in terms of, you know, a big defenseman who was there to provide some physicality. Um, he had a little sniff of the coaching when he broke his foot. So mm -hmm. I think we were away in Tilburg um, yeah. and he blocked a shot, broke his foot. I'll always remember being out that night after the, the tournament. So we obviously all gone out because uh, it was the last night before we were going home and he was there on the dance floor and he's bouncing up and down. We're like, he was one of your foot. He goes, oh, no, it's all right. I'll walk it off. I'll walk it off. And he was there, you know, giving it on the dance floor. And it turns out when he got home, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it, it was pretty badly broken and he was out the rest of the year. And I heard him on another podcast actually talk about, you know, that, that he was gutted when Lawless said that he was, I, I think Lawless brought in Jamie Vanderhorst to replace yeah. him. Um, so there, and uh, you had to deregister someone because of the roster sizes. So he said to Heaves that, look, I'm, I'm deregistering you. And he was absolutely gutted knowing that was his, his playing career gone. But he offered him the, the assistant coach's job. And uh, he, he was, it was from sheer hard work that he got his success as coaching. He literally read every single coaching manual there was, any book by any successful coach, or if any leadership skills or anything like that. He was the first, it was the first time that I was ever aware that there was a kind of study element to the game that you could, you know, that there was, it, it was almost the modern era. He was the first of the modern coaches, if you like, because now everything is, you know, 
system driven and all that where before in the lawless we played with so much freedom he didn't really have systems he just had people playing to their strengths and and then he's you know really took the coaching thing serious when when uh, lawless gave him the assistant coach's job and obviously made an impression on on uh, the guys um, up top and then when lawless went they offered him the the head coach's role and he took that on and for him to recruit that type of team uh, that he did, you know, it, it, quite smart, really, because what he did is he looked around the league and he saw scary Mike Ware and how teams were petrified of him and thought, oh, do you know what? I'll have him on my team because then I've got that kind of intimidation factor. He saw the power that Ivan Matulak and the point production that he could uh, he could get and, you know, and brought him in. And I think Randy Smith was on that year as well. He was playing for Peterborough the year yep. before, sticking up ridiculous numbers now. You got a chance of playing in Peterborough or contending for titles in Cardiff. He gets Randy Smith, so he picked the sort of best players from around the league, and then you know brought some others in then to complement them, uh, as well as the core that we already had there. And, and straight away we were competitive, and uh, you know to bring that first ever Super League title uh, in you know to Cardiff, it was was absolutely huge. Uh, I, I got huge admiration for him because as a player in Cardiff, he had to follow Stephen Cooper. And, and that was hard enough when Cooper went back to, 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 to Durham. And then Lawless goes, and as Franny said, you look at the problems Manchester United have had on a, a yeah. far larger scale. But since Alex Ferguson went, who's going to be the next guy who, who built? So I think it was important that he, he'd had the, the half a season as assistant coach. I, I think one of his great regrets of being the registered Franny is that bench clearance against Nottingham because uh, that was when he was on the bench <laughs> as assistant coach and he was itching, he was itching to get out there and I think he, he, he was ready to go <laughs> yeah because uh, he was a he was a tough tough guy Paul a, you know a proper Glaswegian but I, I think you know when when you think of of the season after um, we won Wembley Canawisha left and and John Lawless asked. Um, Jesus, Franny, that's the loudest drink in the world. <laughs> Sorry. It's fine. It's, fine. It's, it's not like I'm in the middle of anything here. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you remember when Canawisha left, uh, John Lewis asked Paul Farmer to be coach, and it didn't work. Farmer left after half a season because he said, I'm not the greatest player. How can I tell Steve Morrier and Doug McEwen what, what to do? And Heavey was, was, was probably you know, a better player than Paul Farmer, but proportionately, it still would have been the same. You know, Heavey, how can I tell... Randy Smith, who's Canadian um, national team, and Ivan Mitchell, how can I tell them what to do? But yet he's commanded respect, and I think a lot of that was down to the fact he was a scary guy, and then you marry that up with the, as Franny said, his, his work rate to, to learn, and, and I, I, all credit to him. The one thing I would ask you, Franny, is, is, is this true? I think Stoney told me this, that he lost his temper once so much, I think up at Humberside, and he kicked the bin, and he got his foot stuck in the bin and couldn't get it out. <laughs> it, it was a home game, actually. Um, it was a home game, and I was going to mention it, but he said he lost his temper once. He didn't lose his temper once at all. He, he <laughs> lost his temper many times. So, so he did. He did have the fear factor for, for definite, and he was a scary, scary man. You know, if you, you mentioned that bench clearance, and he's got the stick up, hasn't yeah. he? He's, you know, he's ready. He's, he's ready to slash him around the head with it. Well, that's what he was like in the dressing room if he lost his temper and we were playing badly. And I remember he, he came in in Cardiff and he's just giving it to the team. And then he boots this bin, this like plastic bin. His foot goes through the bin. You imagine all the jagged edges of the plastic. So once his foot is in there in his suit trousers, 
and he's trying to pull his leg out. He can't. So he's walking around the dressing room with this bin on his leg. And, and you're desperate to laugh. But if you would laugh, I swear he would have knocked you out. Like he would have. Like, so I remember just fighting as much as I could, desperately trying not to catch the attention of Keats or Mance or whoever it was because I know I would have blurted out a big laugh. But he's, he's literally hopping around the room with this, uh, with this bin on his, on his foot. And uh, another one I, I remember um, up in Sheffield, we'd had a bad period and he came in and he lost his rag and short of punching one of the guys, he punched the, he- the hand dryer off the wall. And <laughs> like, he, he cut all his hand open, maybe even split a tendon and ended up in a cast from doing that. But uh, yeah, it was, it was, when he lost it, it was yeah. pretty spectacular and very, very scary. <laughs> If Franny is, for me, and, and maybe I'm speaking out of turn because I wasn't really around for the for the first 10 years, but for me, Heavey left an indelible print on the club in terms of this club has to have steel. It has to have toughness. While we've talked about the fact that guys like Shannon Hope could look after themselves, first and foremost, they were expected to play. Whereas I feel like Heavey brought in that Mike Way, Mike McWilliam, Ian McIntyre, Frank Evans. Frank Evans. He brought in that thought that a Devils team has to have toughness. It has to look after itself. And that for me is is Heavey's lasting legacy for for the Devils franchise. That's a good point, Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it started off with him as a player. I mean, that was the reason he was brought in. Is I think the year before there'd been a couple of unsavory incidents and uh, it might have been the Telford one where there'd been a few high sticks in the face and Shannon had the stitches and all that. Um, and, you know, the next year when he was, was bringing in a player, he wanted to bring that toughness in. So he brought in, um, he brought in Paul Heavey as a tough player. Um, he, he probably knew that the fans appreciated that kind of, you know, excitement when when he stepped up. And um, I remember, I think it was Mike Dark, the, the guy in Peterborough that was really yeah. tough. And he was, yeah. like, every, t- every time Mike Dark was trying to step out of line, he was right up in his face and he was kind of putting him in check. And from that moment on, I you know, the Devils weren't going to have a team that were going to be bullied. And, you know, he, he was a tough player himself and he definitely appreciated the tougher side of things. But he also knew that that's, what Cardiff fans and Welsh fans like is they, they like teams that will stick up for themselves that work hard, but, you know, um, have also got that steel behind them, like you said. So yeah, when you look at the guys that he recruited, um, you know, guys like Frank Evans, who, you know, we talked before pound for pound, one of the toughest guys around. I remember when he brought in Michael McWilliam, you know, he was talking about him and he was telling me like, this guy is next level tough. And in true to his word, he was, um, (laughs) You know, he'd gone out to find the the, the biggest dog in the yard, and uh, yeah, he, he he's left that sort of legacy because, you know, if you look ever since then, we've always had that toughness. Whether it's been Voth, whether it's now Mark Lewis, uh, whoever it is, we've always you know had that player who you know we know we're not going to be um, we're not going to be bullied. I think the one year that we didn't is the year that um, Payette ran a mock, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, Dave Whistle's year, and that's a mistake that Whist made, is that he didn't have that toughness, and 
Payet used to win every game for Coventry against us by running round, and then he'd end up with three goals as well. Uh, until we brought in, I think, Craighead to mm-hmm. to try and address that. Who, who my God, he, he's he's probably the hardest guy I've ever had to play against. He was ridiculously strong, uh, and you know, very tough guy. But um, you know, I don't think it's any coincidence that ever since the Paul Heavey uh, as a player and a coach, you know, we've always had tough guys on our roster. So there we have it. Paul Heavey is given the coach's honour for this Super League team. Gents, I think we're going to have to lead it there for uh, these two teams. We do have two more teams to uh, run the rule over, and we will do that in next week's episode. Um, But what a journey it's been for these two teams. I mean, we could do an episode on the guys who missed out as well, such as the, the, you know, embarrassment of riches that us and the fan base have to choose from but I think we're all in agreement these are the correct and very worthy recipients of this honour Yeah I think, I think it sums it up that we were probably originally looking to do all four teams in, in this one episode <laughs> and, and we've ended up talking two hours on just two of the teams and it just shows how many good memories and, and uh, how, how much we've been treated to by you know, these uh, 14 guys that, uh, that have made special contributions to the club. Well, we got lots to look forward to as well because we're going into a, an era, Franny, where uh, you uh, step off of the ice and have to look after a lot of these uh, guys uh, <laughs> behind the bench, ironically enough. <laughs> so I'm sure we're going to have plenty instead of, of Instead of on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we'll have plenty of stories to uh, talk about uh, for our next two eras. Mark Fulton uh, did make the list, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah good. Has Alex still got his game on jersey? Is Fulton Mark game Fulton, on jersey? Uh, absolutely, he does. <laughs> we'll have to get that out. That's a collector's item of ever. <laughs> Alex won a Mark Fulton jersey more times than Mark Fulton's won a Mark Fulton <laughs> did, did he actually get a jersey printed? Yeah, he did. It's still got the stick tape number on it, is it? Yeah, it's still got the stick tape number. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, any final thoughts before we depart? Just, just a thank you to those 14 guys that we've mentioned for their, their contributions to the club and for you know, for laying the foundations in these first two decades and, and uh, you know, setting us up for, for the next two decades that we'll, we'll talk about in the next two, um, two episodes. Very special players and, you know, we thank every single one of them. Yeah, yeah. Seconded. And it was three years. That's why some players missed out. <laughs> <laughs> I think that does be repeated because uh, this has been a marathon episode. So three years. So sorry, Craig Weller and all of his fan base. It's not going to happen. Um <laughs> Okay, thank you very much for casting your votes. Thank you very much for listening to another episode or watching another episode with us all of the back catalogue to feature many stories of many of the players we mentioned tonight are available on iTunes and Spotify and all of our new episodes are available on YouTube as well. So please hit that subscribe button, hit that follow button and uh, you'll get all of the episodes as they land each and every week. 
So I've been Gareth Hewish and uh, been delighted by joined by Mr. John Donovan. Pleasure as always, guys. Producer Herbs. Always an honour. And the man of the marquee, Mr. Neil Francis. Thank you, guys. Uh, another nice trip down memory lane. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, in honour of the first decade team, is a little bit of Brass Bonanza. <laughs>